Welcome to the Chasing Passion Podcast. My name is Dom and I'm your host. Each week, I bring on a passionate person to help you discover your own passion in life and how to begin pursuing it. Thanks for spending some time with me today and let the episode begin. This week's guest is Jonathan McKnight. Jonathan is currently working as a project management contractor along with being a business coach for major companies. He has lots of insight into managing people, managing projects, being a good leader and time management. He's passionate about helping people create the right work environment and champion people as he likes to put it. He has experience in numerous roles including running his own company, being a team manager for Ultra Women's Rugby Team along with being an analyst and a project manager and also a scrum master. He has certifications in business and leadership coaching, agile project management and also agile scrum mastery. In this episode some of the things we discuss are what his day today as a project manager actually looks like, what it actually takes to be a project manager in the first place, and how to get into the career, uh, deciding if project management or being a leader or being in that kind of role is actually for you, and the qualities to make a good leader. And without further ado, let's get right into the episode. Jonathan, thanks for coming on the show. Not a problem. So the first question I want to ask you is, can you give us some background, some context behind who you are and what you currently do? <laughs> okay, so for those that are listening, um, I guess the background is, what do I currently do? Let's start there, that's maybe the easier one. Mm-hmm. Um, so here within AIB, I am a Agile Scrum Master, uh, which is just a, another word for project manager. Um so in terms of what I do on a daily basis, um, what do I do? Maybe the easier way to start is maybe by saying what I don't do. So I don't write code anymore. I um, That's probably about it, really. Um, in terms of everything that I do, my, my role is really around making sure that the teams I look after and manage run smoothly, um, as close as they can to smooth, whatever that looks like. Their workload is there, their backlog, which is just the, the build-up of, of work, is there for everybody. Also, just to look and make sure that there are no issues, no day-to-day running issues. A lot of it will work smoothly by itself, and the team will work smoothly by themselves, but it's there just as an issue um, adjudicator. So if anybody has any issues, any concerns, any problems, my role is really to take care of that. Uh, and to make life a little bit smoother. That's what it's supposed to be. Um, so yes, in terms of a backlog, or sorry, not a backlog, my history, I guess, is that something you want to look at as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess I've been in AIB now for what is four years, um, where I came into analytics initially as a scrum master or initially as a... Um, test manager um, at that point in time they were looking at bringing in somebody to to implement testing and QA testing and that's a little bit of my history as well um, subsequently it fell into the scrum master role for insights within analytics and customer analytics for the past four years and that has progressed really quite well I've enjoyed it quite a bit um, I have moved in here as a contractor so I am on a six-month rolling contract with the bank and um, that started back in 2015. It's now 2019, so it's been an enjoyable 
kind of time so far. Um, yeah, so that's been the past four years coming in as a scrum master. The team has changed a bit since then. A lot of people that I started with or whenever I started, they have moved on to other roles in other companies. Um, but I've seen the, the landscape change quite a bit within AIB and within even analytics as a whole. Especially recently over the past year, it has been a bit of a, a turbulent time. Um, but previous to that, um, we kind of worked at setting out new methodologies, new ways of working, bringing in agile, bringing in more ways of working which are a little bit easier to work with, uh, the ebbs and flows of work. Um, but prior to that, because of being a contractor, I've kind of been in various other companies uh, and various other roles as well. So, you know, I can go into that if that's something that you want to look at as well. Um, but I guess my history isn't necessarily the standard history. My history in terms of employment or working and background isn't that I set out to be an IT consultant. It's not that I set out to be working in a bank or a financial institution. Whenever I was in college, I was wanting to be a PE teacher. And, and what did you do in college, actually? So at college, I studied by um, sports science and biomechanics. Mm-hmm. So this is the furthest, well, it's not the furthest thing from it, but it's it's fairly far away and distant from studying for sports science um, as to how the body moves and how the body operates and what is, what's nutrition and, right. and what's the biomechanics of everything and the, how the body operates and what's the optimum level. But now I'm doing a, an IT consultancy role or business management role whatever you want to classify it as so what what sparked you into getting into this role because you obviously did some completely different college so what was the kind of turning point okay i want to get into this um sort of a uh, career um the turning point for me um mm-hmm. was probably getting married um, oh wow so yeah that's it's um 15 years ago um life changed quite a bit so um Pre pre this, I had played rugby. I was able to do a lot of other things outside of kind of IT or business. Um, but with age, with marriage looming, with um, a career doing multiple things, I left college. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I didn't want to be a PE teacher at that age when I was 21. I just didn't like children. So looking after a classroom of children was not a good idea. Um, Then I moved into seals. So I became a car salesman. I tried to stay away from being a dodgy car salesman. Um, But yes, I worked for a Ford for a couple of years in selling cars. I then was also playing rugby at the same time uh, for a local club up in Northern Ireland. Um, Got injured with a, a problem with a shoulder injury which stopped me working for a while uh, and in that interim period I needed to try and figure out what I was doing with life um, the company I was working for let me go because I couldn't work because of the shoulder injuries and not being able to drive and also then we had the joys of looking to get married um, and accidentally I fell into this role simply by the guy that was sharing a house with me at the time worked for an IT company in Belfast. He had said, look, 
there's an IT restructuring program going on in this company. If you want, you can go and apply for it. It's a non-IT graduate role. We will train you up. So I went, I did the test. Uh, it was all multiple choice one day. I got through that. I got called for interview. I got through the interview and they said, look here, we'd like you to start. Could, could you start in two weeks time? I said, yes, I'm getting married in four weeks time. Is that a problem? They said no. And in all fairness, the 15 years, I haven't looked back. Deadly. And what would you say you learned from car sales that is now applicable to your career? Uh, um, so I guess as a, as a young 21-year-old, I learned an awful lot from car sales. Um, how to hold myself, how to engage with a customer, how to have empathy, how to understand what they're looking for in a requirements world. Because mm-hmm. everybody walks in and says, I want a silver car. Yeah. But actually what they're looking for is a silver one with a certain size of alloys, with air conditioning, with a specific color of trim, with certain seats. With So you start engaging with a customer, you start talking to them, you get to understand what they're really all about and you know when to be quiet, you know when to talk. Um, which some people knowing me will think that's probably something I haven't learned. <laughs> but um, yeah, a lot of car seals world has actually taught me an awful lot about what is relevant to life what is not relevant to life and those those traits that you take from being in a car sales world i've brought them in through the various roles that i've had um, and into this role especially that i can now hopefully be able to sit in a meeting hold my own know when to talk know when not to talk know when to have empathy with somebody sitting the other side of the desk whether they are a fellow employee a stakeholder a client, an external facing customer, whatever it may be. So hopefully those traits have have taught me um, an awful lot, but some of that will have also come with age. I see, okay. And uh, what are you most passionate about, if you could describe a few things? Passionate. Um, So I think over the past um, 12 to 18 months, life has changed a little bit for me where i guess i have started understanding what my passions are a little bit more Mm -hmm. and with doing the scrum master role within a a financial institution such as aib i have learned an awful lot but i've also learned an awful lot about myself and so probably for the past as i say 12 to 18 months i have started um i've been down a journey of performance coaching and business management transformation so what is that really um, really what I've been doing outside of AIB has been working with uh, managers for any other company or just themselves and trying to help them become a better leader of people. Um, I think a lot of people get confused as to what a manager is and what that role enti- entitles them to. But I've been working with a, a lot of people to, to move them into a transformation of a business leader a people leader what it's what life is all about outside of work and how we seem to forget that when we come into work and we have a title Mm. which gives us a position and a lot of people tend to use that position and not actually realize that the people they are leading or wanting to lead have to engage with them they have to give you permission so i've moved so my passions have changed really from being a scrum master and 
a lot of other roles into now just helping people transform their lives, their business lives, and also their social lives into just being better human beings, better people. If I can help you be a better human being outside of work, then inside of work, you'll be a better leader and a better manager if you want to classify yourself as that. Um, but hopefully, uh, that's something that I, I've moved into, something I've really enjoyed doing, working with people and being a coach. So doing this business coaching and personal transformational coaching as well, it brings out another layer of complexity with individuals and you get past mm. the social mask that everybody puts on to say, actually, life is fine. I've got it all in control. When you start digging, when you start engaging with people and you start asking those awkward questions, you start realizing that people have a lack or they're coming from an, an area where they have a gap in their life. And I want to try and help them. And that's something that I've become really passionate about over the past 12 to 18 months. And it's something which has been phenomenal and it has been an absolute joy to do. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And if you don't mind sharing, uh, could you just kind of tell us like some of the things that you do with these managers to help them become better people and better leaders in general? Like what are some of the strategies and tips that you use? Yeah, so one of the big ones has been um, the Clifton Strengths Finder, which is also classified mm -hmm. as Gallup Strengths Finder. And it's around taking people through what are their strengths. So what is their identity? Ultimately, what my, my kind of three steps are is all about what is your identity in terms of who you are and what has made you who you are today. That also connects with a bit of what I've classified as, and this, quite, this sounds quite cheesy, but your inheritance. So your identity and your inheritance, everything that has gone before you the people that have filled those roles before you, the lessons you have learned from all of those people that you may have been managed by before, that's classified as your inheritance. So once you have your identity and you know who you are and you know what your inheritance is and maybe also what you can move into, what is available to you in terms of if people understand their strengths, their potential role and what they can move into, that is great. And then from there, it's around their investment. So how can I take the strengths that I learn, what my, my top five or my top 39 strengths are, and how can I move those into a world that enables me to be a better, stronger, more efficient, more proficient um, leader? That's really where I kind of move into. So that's kind of one of the steps. So it's understanding what your strengths are. And I think a lot of organizations have done it as a box ticking exercise over the years. But what we've forgotten is that managers move and people move. And just because you haven't done it inside the past 24 months, you know, a lot of banks or organizations, should I say, say, we did it 24 months ago. We don't need to do that again. Where what we have failed to realize is a lot of the leaders, the potential leaders and the managers have been given new roles and they don't really understand who they are and what their strengths are. They're playing to a playbook of this is how you must manage, but it's maybe not necessarily their strength. It's not maybe necessarily what they know how to do. So I walk people through strengths. What is the assessment? We take the, the um, 177 questions. They work their way through that. And at the end of it, you get your top five strengths. You get your top 34 strengths. And from there, we can understand what are the areas you're really talented in 
and how can I help you understand what you need to do to move into that area of your top five strengths. Those are your top talents. Those are the places in life that you don't even have to think about that you're talented at. So help. So let me help you move into that area and use those to help you into your role, be a stronger leader, a better leader. And then from that, if you're a leader of a team, what does that team look like? How do we build strong teams? How do we build teams that are versatile, that have a one of um, every strength, maybe, is a way of looking at it. But how do we move people into an area to say, right, I want to build a strong team. I want to be a strong leader with a strong team around me. What does that look like? And from there, we move into what are your vision? What are your gaps? If you had to make a nuclear change in life, what is that small atomic nuclear change that we can help you move into that will just make a bit of a return on investment? And from there, we start engaging in a little bit of a process that allows people to move through an aspect of vulnerability. And vulnerability, I mean, not as in tears, um, but allowing them to feel that it's they're okay to be vulnerable with themselves. Mm. To say, I am not the strongest at X, Y, and Z. And my role as a coach or a transformational coach is to say, okay, well, how can we help you in that area that you have a gap? What is it you need to do? I'm there as an accountability partner. My role is to say, okay, if you need to go and get training, go and get training. Is there something stopping you? And if people say, no, there's nothing stopping me to go and get training, then my role is just to encourage them to go and do it, to see the positives and not the negatives, to see the pros and not the cons but also to weigh up every aspect of that with them. To be a sounding board, but also to be that voice to say, nothing bad is ever going to happen from being progressive and training yourself and pushing yourself. Yeah. Um, so it's the same as going to the gym to do physical exercise. You're going to try and make yourself better, stronger. And it's the same in life. We should try and make ourselves bigger, stronger, but in a educational aspect maybe. Um, we want you to go and I want you to train. I want you to learn something new. I want you to keep growing. If you're not growing and thriving, then, you know, the, the kind of cliches and cheesy ones are, if you're not thriving, you're dying. So I want people to help push them. I want them to engage with life and say, right, I'm going to grab this by the horns. I've got one chance at life. If I just sit in one place and I don't move from an organization for 20 years and I'm stagnant in that role, Am I really enjoying life? I want people to get out of bed in the morning. I want to, them to enjoy life. I want them to enjoy every aspect of it, even if it's raining, as it currently is outside. I want them to be able to say, you know, life is good. My role is enjoyable. I enjoy what I do. I look after people. And I want them to actually engage with people and say, I'm enjoying what I'm doing. Hopefully you're enjoying what you're doing. But that also comes down to the style, the way they manage, the way they lead, the way they hold themselves, the way they discuss things, the way they engage with their, their teams. Hmm. So it's there's a full realm of of steps and strategies that we can work through. But it's um, when you see the change happening within individuals, that's what makes it really worthwhile. Hmm. And earlier on, you mentioned, um, well, first of all, I think the self-awareness and just playing with your strengths is very important because, I mean, if you're not, if you're not, you know, identifying what you're really good at, you're never going to be at the highest level of what, where you want to go. But earlier on, you mentioned uh, being a good leader and that you're helping these people to become better leaders and better human beings in general. I'm curious to know, what is your definition of a good leader? <laughs> um, 
my definition of a good leader? I, uh, that's a good question, in all fairness. Um, so, uh, a leader can be so many things, and I think a lot of organizations, a lot of individuals will have their own view on what a very mm. good leader looks like. For me, a leader is somebody who has been there, but who doesn't micromanage in terms of if I've been, uh, for example, a senior developer mm-hmm. and I've moved into a management role, I don't want to be telling you how to do your role as a senior developer just because I've been there. There's an aspect of, of micromanagement in there as well. So for me, a good leader is somebody that understands, somebody that can engage, somebody that can show empathy, somebody that has passion, somebody that can bring strategy and vision, but also have a good communication so that they can help your team or help those around them understand and engage with that. Um, So for me, a leader is somebody who's supposed to have everything absolutely sorted. But to be brutally honest... A good leader is somebody that puts up their hand and says, actually, I don't have it all together. I don't have all the answers. I need those around me to help me. Mm. So a good leader is somebody for me that puts their hand up in the environment around their team and says, I don't have all the answers. I want those around me to help me find the right answers. And I don't think that happens in many environments. Mm. And going on a slightly different topic, what would you say is your most proudest achievement? My most proudest achievement. <laughs> Between still being married and having three kids, <laughs> I have to put that one in there. My proudest achievement to date. Um, I think if I was to put it into the context of what I'm currently doing uh, with the transformational coaching piece, it's seeing the change in people. It's seeing the change in, in leaders of organizations. It's seeing the change in people's eyes. There's that difference between sitting down with somebody for the first time and explaining the steps and explaining the journey that we're going to go on and watching them as they engage with it. Then they see that life is different from how they have seen it, that there's not necessarily a one view fits all, but that another view can actually be something which is advantageous to them and that has been something that over the past um, eight months that I have seen on a one-to-one basis that whenever you engage with somebody and they they see the vision of what they can be and what mm. they can become that's the point where you start realizing my job or my role or the steps that I have taken as a my as a coach have been completely worth it because the individual on the other side has just realized I've got it there's something else to life here there's a vision there's part of me that I have given up or I'm helping them address aspects of self-limiting beliefs where they have realized that those little voices in the inside of our head that society has allowed us to to put in there that you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not the right person, you're not fast enough, whatever that may be, those self-limiting beliefs, when you engage with somebody and you start realizing that there are limiting beliefs inside of every single one of us Mm. and that we can overcome those, the point where the individual starts overcoming those is the point where they start seeing that there's, there's traction and then there's a little bit of energy in them and then you get movement and from that movement you get the 
the ability to see that actually from my results, I'm going to get a better potential and better action. And then my belief gets bigger. And from the bigger belief gets bigger potential, bigger results. And so it's, it's at that point when you see the glint in the eye and they realize that I've allowed these self-limiting beliefs to take over my life. That's the point mm. where actually I've, I've really enjoyed it. Awesome. And if you could give advice to a college student who's about to graduate, so he's ambitious, uh, wants to succeed in the world, but is just about to enter the real world, what advice would you give to that person? <laughs> Go slowly. Um, what advice would I give a 20-year-old who's just graduating and wanting to get into the real world? Take your time. Um, I think the world has a very different view on life i think the the opinion that everybody has outside in in the kind of the working world is that you have to get the right job you have to make the right choice you have to get a job that pays a certain amount of money mm. and i think for a lot of people what they realize is and i think a lot of people now in terms of graduates realize that they want to be at the top of the mountain they want to be the ceo yeah. They want to be the chief financial officer. They want to be the manager and they don't see the journey that they need to go on to get there. And even whenever I started working a long time ago, there was that realization. I just wanted to be the manager and I sat in the chair and I sat behind the desk and I did everything when the manager wasn't there to make myself feel like the manager. But actually I needed to do my time I needed to do, um, as such, my apprenticeship in life as well as work and employment. But it's realizing that you don't have all the answers. And it's realizing that it's okay to learn from other people. It's okay to come out of college and not have it all together. It's okay to realize that there's a lot more to life than working. I would say to anybody that's just starting out on the journey of employment and in life to take it slowly to understand what they are and what they're doing, should I say. Self-awareness. Yeah. Understand what you like doing. Mm. And don't be stuck in a job where you feel that this is what the world's telling you you mm. should do. Um, with coming from the strengths and, and transformational background, understand what you enjoy doing. And if you enjoy doing something, mm -hmm. work at it keep going at it because that's the point where you get out of bed in the morning and you realize i enjoy doing this i enjoy what i do because that's where your strengths lie and if you can play to your strengths then work isn't a chore it's something which is enjoyable it's a hobby yeah and i think a lot of people have missed out in this and i think a lot of people are slowly starting to realize that maybe at the age of 35 40 45 or 50 that they've been doing a job for 20 25 years that they just don't enjoy and they're bitter and they portray a lot of negativity into that role where actually the job itself is probably absolutely 100 percent fine it's just their outlook on life needs changed a little bit to say you know there's a different way of looking at life it's a state of mind it's how we engage with life it's how we engage with those around us but understand who you are, understand where you want to go and understand that there is a journey to get there, that you're not necessarily going to be chief executive officer unless you have a startup. 
Um, and it's it's going to be a tough journey, but if you can give it the time, if you can give it 5, 10, 15 years even, you'll get to a point where you're the senior person or you're the manager or you may be further down the road than what that may be. But I think the understanding is patience. Take it easy. Don't put the pressure on yourself. Realize that the world is pretty big. Hopefully you've got a lot of life left in as a young graduate, but realizing that, you know, it's going to take time. Hmm. Yeah, I really like that advice because, um, like, recently, I, you know, like, there's Instagram and social media, and you start you start seeing these successful people being CEOs and stuff like that, and you're like, okay, I want to go to the top, I want to be this, but you might not necessarily be that person. Like, you might be good at, you know, being a number five in a company or whatever. Like, and I think it's very important what you said to be self aware. Like, really find your find your strengths and find out what you're good at because ultimately it's gonna lead to a happier life and more successful and. Yeah, you'll obviously be more be more successful if you enjoy what you do. Yeah. But I'm also curious to know what is your actual outlook on life? What's your personal outlook on life? <laughs> wow. Well, Philosophy, I guess. What's my personal outlook on life? Um that's a deep How do you approach life? <laughs> that's a deep question. How do I approach life? One leg first. Um I I probably have a different outlook than a lot of people, and mm-hmm. uh, to be brutally honest. And I think that has changed over my working life, uh, but also with my wife and my kids and life at home. They are there to keep me grounded. They are there so that I realize that I'm lucky to have them. They're there so that I don't get carried away. Um, I I have put a lot of people first in life, and I think that's probably not a bad way to be. There's a lot of people that you may work with or come across and you'll hear especially on social media and it's all about them it's all about the greater good that they can be how they can get to the destination of being the richest person that they know or having the biggest house the biggest car the fastest car the most expensive car the best looking holidays the best looking instagram posts whatever it may be i genuinely don't care about any of that what is important to me is that a i'm happy my wife's happy and my kids like me and (laughs) you know at the age that they are at so my my kids are eight uh, six and four and as long as they like me I'm happy and there's some days that they don't and that's fair enough I have to be a parent Uh, I have to be a good cop bad cop some days but I'm I'm not about chasing the billion pound jobs or i'm not about becoming ceo overnight i don't want to be an internet sensation i don't want to be the classified as the next best thing because that comes with pressures if i can't handle those pressures i don't want to be in that position i want to get to the end of my life and realize that i've done the best that i can in the role that i've been able to do whatever that looks like Mm -hmm. whether it's just as a father a husband a son a brother I just want to get to the end of my life and realize that I have done the best that I can at being me, but also at the best version of me that I can be. And that sounds quite cheesy as well, but I want to be constantly chasing the best version of me. There's another version of me, and I know that the version of me, for example, tomorrow is not the same as I am today. So hence that growing, if I'm not reading books, if I'm not changing and challenging my own view in life then I'm not being a best version of me. But I, I'm not necessarily wanting to be, as I said, I don't want to be the CEO. I don't mind being the CEO of somewhere. But as long as I am happy in my own skin, 
and I'm happy with those around me and I'm doing a job that actually I enjoy and that others feel that is worthwhile, actually, you know, I'm going to be happy. And I think there's a lot of people out there that are chasing somebody else's dream. Yeah. And that's not where I want to be. I think years ago, I was chasing somebody else's version uh, of me and somebody else's vision for me and for my life. And I was chasing somebody else's uh, employed or employment goals for my own life. And even at college, I was doing something that somebody else wanted me to do. Mm -hmm. But it's only uh, the past couple of years have I realized that, you know, life is short relatively and you better get the opportunity to do what you want to do and that's where you realize that you do what you want to do because if you're chasing somebody else's goal and vision for your life you're going to be miserable if you live inside your own blueprint for your own life then actually you're going to be really happy with your own life and that's that's for me that's where i want to be that's my philosophy for life if i can live inside my blueprint for my life actually you know what the world of social media i'm not going to worry about it too much because instagram twitter snapchat facebook whatever those images portray is rarely the the honest yeah reflection of life you know so from the happy smiley people giving the selfies on a random beach somewhere far flung you know it's maybe in behind that is where I want to be. I want to be understanding who they are underneath. What makes them tick? And are they happy? Because, not to get too deep, but you know, I think a lot of a lot of um, statistics have shown, especially in America, that the Instagram posts that are given by, I think it's about, um, teenage girls, they actually have the highest suicide rate in America for teenage girls. And that's the bit that kind of actually saddens me. Um, what somebody had said or i'd read it a while back is you know of all of the happy-go-lucky smiley instagram photos for teenage girls you know not one of those girls was actually portraying a picture of themselves they were portraying a picture that the world wanted to see of them that everything is fine and everything is rosy and actually they have no issues and look how brilliant they are when actually underneath all of that instagram social media imaging is people who have issues and that's where i want to get to those are the people i want to talk and to everyone has issues as well yeah and i think that's the part that we need to understand mm. that's the real part of life that i think we have missed i think a lot of people have just seen the destination and they haven't seen the journey and i want to help people on the journey to get to the destination you can still be happy and you can still do all of that public portraying of your image online but as long as it's real, as long as you're happy, as long as you are deep down having fulfillment, you can do what you want. But it's those people that are chasing something else by portraying a vision of their life that the world wants to see when actually deep down they're just unhappy. And those, insecure, like why else would you do it? Yeah. So that's that's what it's all about for me. That's, that's what makes me tick at the minute. Mm. That's not what made me tick 10 years ago. That's mm. I was a different person then, but now I want to be I want to help other people find their vision for life. I want to help people find their blueprint for life. I want to help people understand what makes them tick. I want to help people understand what they're brilliant at 
and actually not play themselves down. But I want people to just to get up in the mornings and realize, yes, it's rainy and yes, it's gray and yes, it's dark. And maybe I have a two hour commute to work, but I get to work. I get to get up. I get to be paid. I get to do all of this. Life happens for us. Life doesn't happen against us. Um, so it's a different mindset. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to change my mindset, but help others change their mindset, change their state of mind, how they look at life. Is it a glass half full? Is it a glass half empty? And a lot of people, I think, have just a very negative outlook in life because that's what the world says that we should do. When actually, if we change our state of mind, we can change every aspect of what we do. If I can help you change how you see things, you'll change what you see. And that's that's what it's all about for me. Hmm. No, you, you said a lot of things and I agree with everything you said. And I think especially now, like um, like a lot of us are kind of uh, pressured by society to do a certain job or become this person. And everyone is telling us to, you know, go to college, get this job, do whatever you got to do. But the moment, like you, I think, like, especially when you're young, you should, that's what I'm trying to do personally. Uh, figure out like what am I really what do I really enjoy doing and what am I good at and uh, like do that because like when you think about it there's so much opportunity out there like the internet like there's so much opportunity out there and you can learn whatever you want like all the information is literally at the at your fingertips so I really like what you said and I'm curious to know so what actually helped you find your own pattern life because you said you weren't always like this you said this only in the past few years or so so like when did you actually come to this you know conclusion that you know you're gonna live your life this way um so yeah i um i think it was it's just been it's been ticking away in the background for quite a while Mm -hmm. um it's been part of it's been part of the journey that i've been on as as a role that i've done but it's also just um in work or in organizations and in what i do outside of here so in outside of work and outside of my paid employment i will just try and help volunteer so my wife and i will help volunteer in charities uh, in the area that we live and that's around helping people and it's all around helping those that need something that's maybe missing in their life and from that it's just that train of thought and understanding that okay the charities are set up to help people find that gap or fill that gap of something that's missing in their life so what if you do the exact same but take out the word charity and put it into a work environment what is missing in a work environment that can change somebody's life or what's happening in somebody's life to make them miserable or unhappy and out of that how can we help them be happy how can i help you be fulfilled in what you do Uh, i think probably just life experiences as well um have taught me that you know life happens and a lot of people can have a very negative outlook on life but you know there's two ways of looking at it you can let life get you down and you can just crumble and you can never leave the house and you can have a very negative outlook in life and have a very negative outlook in your job and the the um it becomes a very gray dark world Um, or you can change how you look at things and have a relatively positive outlook on life and out of that that kind of mindset came this understanding for me that there's a different way of doing life there's a different way of doing life inside of work and outside of work for everybody Mm. and maybe what we 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 do inside of work is we try and keep our social world 
and our private world away from our working world and that's not necessarily a good thing either so for me what i've done is i've just collided my two worlds together my private world in terms of helping others and my working world in terms of trying to help others but maybe in between there's a gap that has been missed over the years and what i'm trying to do now is fill that gap and say let's help you but what does that help look like can i help you be a better human being if i can help you be a better human being then you're going to be a really good manager a really good leader if you're not a really good human being you're not going to be a good manager and that's all come out of even uh, my kind of my sports background where you were playing in a team that was a team sport so i played rugby for a lot of years and what somebody said is no matter what you do this week i want you to move that jersey on so which sounds quite confusing but it's about being a better rugby player so for me at that time and this this kind of is about just being a rugby player but it can be about anything but the jersey that you're wearing at that time if i can train hard then i can play really hard and if i can play really well then hopefully i've moved that jersey on so that the week after somebody wants to take that jersey off Mm. me and they want to play in that position they have to up their game and they have to be a better person and a better player than I was the the week before. So if we take that mentality of week on week being a better person, week on week being trying to achieve something to take it off somebody else, that's kind of where I got to to realize, okay, I need to be a really good rugby player to retain that jersey week on week, but I'm bettering myself. And at the same time as people do marathons, whatever it may be, they may try and do a PB, so a personal best. Somebody is always trying to achieve something greater, bigger, better, faster. So how are we not trying to do that inside a work environment? And if we can say to somebody, you can be a really bad human being outside of work, but inside we're going to give you the role of manager or head of department or whatever it may be not necessarily that they're going to be the best manager head of department or whatever it may be because if you're a bad human being outside of work you're probably going to be a bad manager bad person because you just don't have your head screwed on in the right way um but in terms of that if i can help you be a really good manager that hopefully will portray itself outside of work as well to say if we can change who we are inside work then hopefully that will help you change who you are outside of work if i can help you see something differently inside of work Maybe you'll be able to see something different outside of work. Do you, for example, you know, if I was to sit and say to somebody, I want you to listen to your listening. That sounds quite bizarre. But when we sit in a meeting, we sit in a a conversation, even with friends, we're listening out for aspects of a conversation that I know I have the answer to. I know I can add something to this. And that's what I mean by listening to our listening, our Am I actually present in all meetings? Am I present at home with my family? Am I mm. present at all times? Or am I listening out for something completely different so I can actually answer it in a way that I know I have the answers to? And if I can help people, even then that simple one-liner, say to somebody, what are you really listening out for? Are you listening out for the next question? Are you listening out for the next prompt? Are you listening out for the next aspect of life where you can move into? Then... You know, it's all different. So it's simple things sometimes, but out of those simple things can come great things. Mm. 
And you've been doing this for quite a while now. So what would you say was the biggest lesson that you learned uh, from your career? <laughs> Never give up. Um, yeah, so I've been doing this um, for now uh, 20 years in terms of work, that is, but not necessarily the, the project management scrum master stuff mm-hmm. uh, and not necess- either the, the business transformation stuff. So uh, the biggest lessons that I've learned... Um, are um yeah that's uh, you know i really haven't thought too much about these things um things that i've learned uh, or even things that that you believe are true (laughs) um what's the old cliches good things come to those that wait Mm um no i i think I just know that I didn't have it all together years ago when I started down this journey of work. I believed at the time whenever I started that I had every answer for every question and I was the best person for every role that I was ever in. And, um, you know, sometimes immaturity is a massive thing. Uh, No matter how old you are, you can still be immature. Um, But it's realizing that somebody else has got that job ahead of you and you have to do time I need to take my time. I need to listen to things. I need to learn. I don't have it all together all the time. It's okay to say no. It's okay to say I don't have the answer. It's okay to not portray that you have it all together all the time. Um, so uh, life, life's life been a journey. Life's been a, a, a topsy-turvy journey. Um, I've learned to be patient. I've learned to take my time. I've learned that I don't have it all together. I've learned that persistence pays off. I have learned that no matter what happens, that sometimes you just need to kick, keep kicking the door. Um, perseverance is one of the biggest things that I think I've learned. I remember being told years and years ago, nearly 20, 19 years ago, that I was overqualified for a job. So you're not giving me the role? So the, the, the hiring manager at the time said no. You're actually overqualified for this job. And it was a car sales job. And I couldn't believe it. Because at that time, I wanted to sell cars. That's the one thing I wanted to do. I wanted to sell cars. And he told me, you're never going to sell cars in the car industry because you're overqualified. And I thought, you don't know me at all. I want to do this. So I persevered and I persevered and I persevered. And for the same company, I must have applied for various sales roles for nearly 12, 13, 14 jobs. Wow. Within the same company, probably in the space of a year. And and eventually, um, the guy said, why are you still doing this? Yeah. They interviewed me every time. And he said, look, (laughs) we've kind of explained to you, you're probably never going to do this. You're overqualified for these roles. And I said, it's something that I want to do and I'm going to keep doing this and I've shown my perseverance and I think out of sheer determination and perseverance they kind of just went oh you know what reluctantly let's give him the job yeah I don't want to see him again um and that's the you know there's a lot of things like that if you if you want something bad enough you have to change what you do you maybe have to change your approach to it and that's what I did. I changed my approach every time, way back then even. I changed what I put on an application form. I changed how I approached an interview. I changed what the answers were going to be because I knew what the questions were going to be. So it was what was the opportunity ahead of me? What was my potential? And then what was my approach? 
And I changed each one of those every single time. My opportunity was the one thing I wanted, which was selling cars. And the potential was that I could do the job. But for whatever reason, they weren't allowing me at the time to do that. And I changed my approach every single time, which was the perseverance within me and the determination and the sheer grit that I just wanted to do this. I had no idea at that time what else I was going to do. Mm. That's probably besides the fact that as such by leaving um, and what would be seen as a very safe, secure teaching job behind, I, I had burnt my boat. I had realized that there was no other way for me. I did not know what else I was going to do at that time at mm. the age of 21. So I was just determined, absolutely gritted teeth determination to be a car sales guy. And then it all fell into place at that point in time that I could yeah. sell cars. Interesting. And what is the piece of advice that you often hear from other professionals that you believe is untrue? Uh, um, if there is such a thing. <laughs> um, other professionals within the same kind of yeah, role? Yeah, project management, scrum master. Uh, um, that I believe is untrue. I don't actually know. I think... I think this role has has taught me an awful lot, um, and I, well, to be honest, some people will tell you that you don't you don't move from your processes. You have a certain process of how you do things and a workflow and all of these buzzwords with work. Mm-hmm. We have a workflow and we have a process and we have a playbook and we must stick to it. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's a lot of rubbish. Um, the personal approach works, and as much as some people will tell me and possibly tell you that. You know, the personal approach doesn't work. It works every time. And I've seen it here within the company, within AIB. I've seen it in other companies I've worked with that actually sitting down with somebody, engaging with them, talking to them, understanding what their deadlines are, where they're coming from. If you engage with somebody and have that empathy to sit down with them and take the time and understand where they're coming from, you know, usually nine times out of ten, the person will help you work with them in a timely manner and so that they can achieve what they want and I can achieve what I want to do. But a lot of people will tell you in this kind of project management world that, and I suppose I've said it as well sometimes, that, you know, we have a process and we're going to stick to it and we're never going to move. And no matter what happens, my no means no. And to be honest, that, that can be your way of doing it. But mm. engaging with somebody and showing vulnerability in terms of taking down the mask uh, and just saying to them, look, you know, you have timelines, we have deadlines as well. We're not going to be able to do this. So how can we find the middle ground? You know, usually if I can help you engage and they can kind of win each other over from a personal approach, that works because the next time they need something, they're going to come and they're going to talk and engage with me. But in terms of things that I've heard other people saying that's not true, I'm sure I've heard an awful lot of it, but I try and forget most of it. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of young people listening to this podcast in particular because the whole goal of this podcast is to allow people to find out if this career is actually for me. So I'm curious to know, like, um, how do you know if project management is for you? <laughs> um, if If you like telling people what to do, then this is for you. Mm-hmm. No, uh, I jest. But no, look, how do you know if project management's for you? It's not for everybody, in all fairness. If you can try and spin, um, as somebody said to me a while ago, if you can spin multiple plates 
at the one time and make sure that none of them drop, then you're probably a really good project manager. You need to be really thick-skinned. And that sometimes isn't the easiest thing to say to people. Um, You need to be able to say no and mean no. You need to be able to say yes and back it. You need to understand where people are coming from. Mm -hmm. If you can have empathy and engage and listen and understand and have compassion, but have the strength to say no when it has to happen, but the, the generosity also to say yes, and if you manage to do all of that inside 30 seconds, then you're probably a good project manager because you'll probably need to do all of those things in 30 seconds because you'll have multiple emails, multiple phone calls, multiple team members um, from multiple teams asking you a plethora of different questions at mm. the same time. So I I don't have it all together. I don't have all the answers. I have come from a background that has been software testing and moved into business analysis and moved in through that road. Uh, and I've learned what it has to happen and I've learned to take my time and I, I've learned over the years, even when it came to coding and doing the software development over the years, that there's processes, there's structures and there's steps that logically have to happen whenever you're doing anything. And I think you need to understand it's like being an apprentice in any role. If you want to be a joiner, for example, you need to do your time. You need to understand what the tools of the trade are. You need to understand those little tricks of the trade. You need to understand what it is to to be a specific joiner of a, of a specific way. But from then, all of a sudden, you will be the master joiner. Um, and it's all those cliches of all those films and all those stories that have always happened. But eventually, the apprentice does become the master. And it just takes time. It takes a lot of perseverance. It takes a lot of patience. Uh, Sometimes I am not the best at being a patient person. My wife would tell you and my kids would tell you that that is such a true statement. Sometimes my patience is the last thing that follows me. Um, But, you know, project management isn't the easiest thing to do. Sometimes it's the most difficult thing to do because you're the one guy that's stuck in the middle. You're the person that has to say no to somebody uh, and you're the person that has to say yes to somebody else uh, and sometimes you put in others in awkward positions and bad timelines and bad management and yeah sometimes you you're just you're the fall guy you're the bad cop you're everything that somebody wants you to be in one fell swoop but the main one is is being thick-skinned don't take mm. it too seriously have a bit of fun enjoy it it can be a really rewarding and fulfilling role it has a lot of potential. You get to see a lot of brilliant people do a lot of brilliant work. And sometimes, I think, actually one of the things is that you find a lot of other project managers will try and take the glory for all the work that has been done. Um, or actually, you know, the glory is to be put in all the kind of rewards to be put back to those that do the work and not the project manager. Um, you know, my role as a project manager is just to help you as a team member um, wherever you are and whatever you're doing to be the best version of you mm. that you can be and if you can provide the best piece of work that you can do then I'm not claiming the glory I'm just helping you do the right work at the right time and clearing any issues and making sure that your day from a day-to-day perspective is just easy and that's what the role is all about making sure that I can encourage you I can try and clear your issues. I can try and make your life easy. I can make things happy. I can make it an environment which is good to be in and one that everybody wants to come and work in. Mm. If I can do that, 
man, I'd be happy. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned books earlier on. If you're not reading books, you know, you know, you need to grow. I'm curious to know, like, what are those one to three books for you that have uh, really influenced your life the most? Whoa. I know it's a difficult question, but just if you could give us one to three books, that'd be amazing. Um, so let me see. <laughs> workbooks. Let's go with workbooks, because otherwise you're gonna say yes, like the Bible and all those other <laughs> books. But um, books that have influenced me and changed my mindset. Um, so. Because I've come from a sporting background, mm-hmm. um, there is a book called Legacy, and and who's it, that by? Oh, that's a very good question. It's I can't actually remember. Who. I'll find a link in the show notes. Um, but yes, the, the book itself is all around the New Zealand All Blacks, and it's around how they build a team. And as we kind of alluded to earlier, it's around moving that jersey on to be in a better position. And over the years, I've read it a couple of times. But it actually is around business. So they've taken the the New Zealand All Blacks methodology and that the kind of um, areas of life that they have become really great at at picking uh, players for being good players and not necessarily, uh, sorry, being good human beings and, and not necessarily good players. And this is kind of where I alluded to earlier. But somebody has taken all of that background of how they became the best rugby team in the world and how they built the best brand for sport as such over the years and they've moved that into a business world that's one book and it's actually been very very good a couple of the other ones are from john maxwell so john maxwell or john c maxwell uh to give him his full team full name is uh, a really great business author who's one of the best uh, business minds i guess of probably the past 10 15 20 years i'm sure i'm sure people have read those books but so some of the books are kind of so motivated to succeed uh, or motivated yeah motivated to succeed that's one book mm-hmm. uh, there's another couple that are really relevant around what i do uh, so the five levels of leadership is another one and a 360 degree leader how to become a 360 degree leader and you know John Maxwell's experience, his knowledge, his his ability to put it down on paper and how people have listened to him all over the world, how he has made people into leadership um, positions, how he has helped them transform and how he's helped them change. And that's something that I've actually been exposed to and that's something I've been quite privileged to, to be a part of is so the John Maxwell company. Um, they allow people to go out and do conversations and, and um they train you so i've been lucky to be trained as one of their transformational coaches so that's part of my kind of background of work as well so with john maxwell kind of moving into that five levels of leadership so that's what i've been trying to engage with some companies to move them through the vision of life that that he has put out there to say you know those five levels and where are we in those five levels and what type of company are we but also what Mm. type of leader are you so are you a positional leader? Have you just been given the title of manager and therefore think you've made it? Which is usually the biggest failure um, for those managers. But also just to move them through that, those, those steps of across the five steps and how, how you can relate to people across those five steps. And if you're on the, the fourth step of people development, do you relate to somebody in a different way? That's just that, that they may see you as a level one leader but actually you're a level four to various other people because you've worked with them for a lot longer 
So I get to do that. I get to travel and I get to talk and I get to engage and do conferences. I get to do workshops. I get to sit down with people and give them a quick half hour blast or a three hour workshop to say, you know, here's the levels of leadership that you're at. Here's what it takes to be the next level up. So people then have work to go away and do. They have a vision of themselves that they need to engage with. And those those books have been really well received around the world. And to be brutally honest, I had never heard of John Maxwell until about 12 months ago. And um, by pure chance, I got the, the opportunity. <laughs> I was talking to somebody. Um, I was doing a coaching call online. And uh, so I kind of got off on a tangent here, but relatively relevant. But I was on a coaching call um, with a, a friend who um, has been my coach for a while. And uh, as I was talking to him, he said, look, can, can I ring you back? Can I can we do this at a later date? I was like, yeah, yeah, sure, why not? And he said, look, I've got somebody here, so I'm just going to go. And I asked him, you know, fair enough, that's not a problem. And before um, before the call ended, he said, look, I'll tell you what, I, uh, I'll put the person on here and he'll say hello. So I had no idea. So this old man sat down in front of the, the um, webcam because it was on his laptop and uh, sat down and said, hello, my name's John. I had no idea. Wow. So genuinely, like, as crazy, I said this to a couple of people and they've looked at me as if you're an idiot, but I had no idea who this guy was. Honest, I spoke to him for about um, a minute Maybe somewhere around there, because I was like, you know, I'll let you go. You two have a good conversation. Nice to meet you. Cheerio. Bye bye. I had no idea who he was. And it was only afterwards that Ed said to me, look, do you realize who that was? I was like, your dad? You know, it just for me, it was an old man sitting at a webcam staring at me through a laptop until he said, you know, that's John Maxwell. I still had no idea who John Maxwell was. I googled it and then I very quickly became aware of who John Maxwell was. So you have the opportunity in life to talk to somebody that other people admire from around the world and millions of people have read books and I had no idea who I was talking to. Um, But from then I have become very um, au fait with who he is and the type of leadership and the type of organisation that he has portrayed and with Equip which is another one of his non-profit organizations about transforming leaders around the world. That's something which has got me and it's kind of ticked all my boxes and I I Mm. really love where they're taking it and what they're doing with the world. Uh, And that's just part of life. So yeah, so like Legacy, that's one book, which is New Zealand All Blacks and moving it into business, uh, motivated to succeed, which is John Maxwell as well. Uh, 360 360 leader leader and the five levels of leadership. So that's four, you asked me for three and it's a very long-winded way of giving you an answer. So have you ever failed? Like, um, have you ever like failed and like, what are the lessons that you learned from that failure? <laughs> yes, I've, <laughs> I've failed quite regularly. Um, so for me, failure has probably been a regular occurrence um, before. Um, yeah, like, I'll oh, just to be brutally honest, failure has been part of life that I have just been used to. Um, so right through school, Mm-hmm. From no age, my my school reports always said Jonathan <laughs> could do better. No matter what it was, those kind of words could do better haunted me. I came to exams, I couldn't have been bothered. I just did enough half the time to get by. Um, right through school, it was, yeah, I needed 
I needed a firework just mm. placed next to me to get me to do anything. I needed to be the last minute. When it came to studying, when everybody had their plans and they were all studying and revising for weeks and months, I was a last minute kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes didn't work well. And through those exams, I failed. But some of them you had to resit to pass them. So it wasn't an option just to, to kind of walk away from them. Um, but from that, I learned that, well, I've learned now that I probably should have done the work at the time. But, you know, failure is part of life. And I think what people need to understand and what people need to get to grips with is that failure is quite okay. The world will tell you otherwise. The world will tell you that failure is not an option. You know, those cliche uh, quotes from movies, failure is not an option. Actually, failure may not be the best option, but failure is completely and utterly natural. And we need to understand that it's okay to fail at something. It's okay to not be the best at everything in life. It's okay to just get things wrong. And I think out of that, I've learned an awful lot about me, which has come to that perseverance that we talked about earlier. It's also taught me an awful lot about how the world sees things. And that, you know, I I know a couple of people that I have a very close relationship with at home uh, that have, well, they've had issues because they haven't failed many things in life. You know, they were used to being the grade A student. They were used to getting the job they wanted. They moved into the career they wanted. And actually what's happened over the the kind of the years is that they have had a lot of other issues in life that they haven't known how to deal with because they're used to having the answer for everything. Mm. But it's the point where they don't have the answer and they don't know what to do that they've had those issues. And out of those issues have become areas in life that, whenever you engage with them and you walk it through it's because you know with school university college whatever it may be they were never used to failure they passed everything and that's a great way to be for so many people but i think people need to engage with failure at some point i'm not saying on purpose fail all your exams don't do that but it's okay to fail. it's okay to not be the best at something it's okay to not pass an exam. It's okay to not be the you know, the smartest person in the room and feel a failure. But as long as what happens is that those self-limiting beliefs that we discussed earlier, that, 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 that topic of failure doesn't limit you to how you look at life. And I think that's really important as well. It's okay to fail at things, but it's not okay to be limited in your life to say, no matter what I do, I'm going to feel. Everybody is successful at something. They've just got to help them find whatever it is that they're successful at. And, um, you know, failure, failure needs to be somebody's friend. And I think we all need to befriend it. it sounds quite cliche-ish, but I'm kind of moving into a coaching role now. But failure is that part of life that we cannot ignore. Failure has to be an everyday part of life. And in the work environment, what I really, really want to encourage leaders out there is to adopt an environment of failure. And that is for us as employees or as team members to have an environment that inside that environment, it's okay to get stuff wrong. It's okay to get it completely and utterly catastrophically wrong. 
as long as you learn from it. And I guess that's the big thing with failure is that hopefully we learn from our failures. But I want the leaders to put their hands up and say, I don't have all the answers. I don't know what we're doing. And actually, it's okay for you as a team member or us as a team to get it all wrong and to fail at it. And only at that point will people then let their guard down to be the real version of themselves and stop portraying that I have it all together. So, yeah, failure has been part of life. Failure has been quite close to me (laughs) for most of my life. Um, But it's something that I'm not worried about. It's something that I can overcome. And I think a lot of people can overcome it. They just have to believe in their own ability to overcome no matter what they're facing in life. Absolutely. And I'm curious to know, um, so when you feel overwhelmed or just unfocused in general, how do you deal with that? What is your approach? (laughs) I gotta love these questions. When I feel overwhelmed, Mm -hmm. um, uh, when I feel overwhelmed, I think a lot of it is coming down to the the state of mind that I'm in uh, and realizing that I need to, the old cliches of recentering myself. So I've talked about the states and how our mind is the the one aspect that we can control. And I think for years I didn't understand exactly what that meant. But now when I become stressed, and stress is an achiever word for fear. Let's be brutally honest. Um, When people say they're stressed and they're high achievers, they're scared. What are they scared of? They're scared of failure, which is the, the previous one we talked about. But um, when I become overwhelmed, it's just about realizing that, you know, it's it's okay from a work environment. It'll still all be here tomorrow. <laughs> They're not going to close the place because I didn't get the right answer at the right time or an email on time. But sometimes it's just about time management. It's about understanding where I need to be in certain areas of life. Um, but it's also having that work-life balance. So, yes, there are times in, in work life that it will be manic. It will be incredibly stressful. And you will have a lot of things to do. And especially as a project manager, I will have a lot of things to do to try and spin lots of plates. And I'll have to have deadlines for various people on various days. And that can be quite stressful. But realizing that, you know, I can lose sleep over this. I can pull my hair out, whatever's left of it. It can go a very shade of gray. But, you know, no matter what, I can still achieve all of these things. I just have to take it one step at a time. And I think sometimes it's just about chunking down your day, chunking down every hour to maybe the last 10 minutes, whatever it may be. And once you give yourself a goal, once you give yourself those set targets, if you're that type of person, you can hit those targets, you can meet those deadlines, and that's fine. But being overwhelmed sometimes is just where we've lost control of our ability to manage our day. So for me, as a project manager, it's just about bringing it right back to basics and saying, okay, what do I need to do today? And just break it into itemized pieces to say, you know, once I get number one done, then I go on to number two, then I go on to number three, etc. There's no point in trying to achieve all 10, 15, 20 things all at the one time, because that's where you get overwhelmed. Realizing, take life into bite-sized chunks. When we get out of bed in the morning, we don't have everything sorted. We take it one step at a time, and that's just the way to do life. And that's the way that I look at life is that, if I am overwhelmed, then I've lost. And it's a failure thing, but it's not really an issue, but it's more of a, I need to control my ability to manage my day. My ability to manage the clock is also there and realize that at the end of the day, I get to go home. 
And that's really important as well, is that wherever home is for you, whatever you classify as home, you get to go there. Work will still be there the next day. Sometimes it can be a very stressed environment. But as long as you don't take it home, because that's I've learned that as well over the past couple of years is taking your stress home doesn't <laughs> really work out that well at home. Uh, I, I find where I've I've taken my stresses out on my kids uh, where I've been that angry dad coming home from a very stressful day and I drive home and they don't deserve it. They They just want to see me. They don't want to hear about all the things that didn't go well in my day and by me being stressed and angry and tetchy at home they get to be that kind of release valve and that's not fair on them. So... It's realizing that, you know, manage my time, manage my day. That's the kind of role as a project manager. But also realizing that whenever I leave the building, wherever I work, that I need to get my head in the right gear to be at home and be present at home and not be in work mode. And that's what's crucial. Hmm. And just because you mentioned time management and so on, do you follow any particular routines yourself? And how do you approach your time management? Uh, routines not not like do you have a particular morning routine like do you have <laughs> you know i don't know you meditate or exercise whatever uh, the old meditation rules no no for me it's definitely not around meditation i think a lot of those um a lot of there's an awful lot of people out there telling you that you know get your day right get your head in the right space i think one of the the massive things just as we're kind of talking there's my phone's ringing in my pocket is is this understanding this aspect of how our phones are starting to ruin our lives um, as it vibrates? Um, I think one of the things I've tried doing and I've achieved to do over the past while is not look at my phone first thing in the morning because it can ruin your day (laughs) and it sets you up for failure, which isn't a bad thing. But yet in saying that, I don't want my phone to dictate the, the kind of curve of my day. So whenever you wake up in the morning, a lot of people will probably pull up Snapchat, they'll look at their emails, they'll look at their text messages, they'll look at Instagram and Facebook and every other social media website that's out there. And then all of a sudden, they may get depressed because they're looking at all these other images of people portraying the perfect life. And as you lie in bed at six o'clock in the morning, whatever time it may be for you, you start comparing life. And that comparison is actually where life kicks into gear, is actually i don't have a six pack i'm not walking on a beach in the seychelles i don't have for example you know the the most um perfect girlfriend photo whatever it may be um you know that's where you start thinking to yourself why am i doing this why am i chasing this dream whatever that dream may look like or it may be cars it may be homes it may be houses holidays whatever it may be but for me it's about trying to realize that I used to use my phone as an alarm. Buy an alarm clock. You can buy them in a really, you know, in a in a discount shop. Buy them online for a couple of a couple of pounds. So, pick an alarm clock up. Don't use your phone. Make sure your phone's not in your bedroom. It sounds really bizarre, and a lot of people will think that my head is absolutely kind of full of air. But not looking at your phone for the first. 15 20 30 minutes of your day can make a massive change to life oh yeah where you take the time to understand okay a i'm tired i'm getting up get your shower get ready and you know grab a coffee grab breakfast whatever that may be but in that time 
just have a think about what your day is. Be grateful for A, being awake and having breath, having food to eat. And the fact that you then get to go to work, it's not that you have to go to work. It's just about understanding that it's that mindset. It's how we look at life. But, you know, when we start looking at our phones first thing in the morning, they dictate the pace of life for us. Because all of a sudden, before we've got out of bed, we have a list of to-dos that we subconsciously give ourselves. That today I have to be a better uh, at doing Instagram photos. Or I've got to go to the gym and have a better six-pack or bigger arms or I've got to be fitter, I've got to be big, you know, whatever it may be, all of a sudden we have that subconscious to-do list and we're not happy at life because we're chasing that goal that somebody else has for us when just leave the phone down. Simple. It shouldn't dictate our lives, but I think for a lot of us it does dictate our lives. And so that's one thing that I've tried to do. I've tried to get away from having my phone with me at all times. Um, I've tried to, you know, if the world's going to burn down, then okay, I'll realise that it might be okay to talk to my family. But there's a part of life that just, let's leave our phones alone. Let's not touch them every four minutes. Let's not take them everywhere with us. Let's not have an addiction to a phone. So that's one step that I've tried to do. And my my morning routine is, is pretty much that. And then from there on in, it's just about realising that when I get into work, some things that I've changed over the years are, initially I would come in and I would open my work emails. And then from there on in, that's usually where my day ends because <laughs> I'm constantly chasing the things on my email that are to do that day. And I never get the things done that I want or need to get done. So what I've done is come into work and I'll take out my notebook and I'll write down the things that I should do that day for myself. Also, all the things that I can remember that I have to do today. And only at that point, when I've written them down, do I then engage with my emails or once I've tried to achieve all of the things that I've written down, do I then look at emails? Because you can just get lost and your day can disappear and you're chasing somebody else's goals. And that's great as a project manager, but it's realizing that at the end of the day as well, as you know, half five, six o'clock at night, where I'm trying to cover off all the things that I wanted to do at eight o'clock that morning, it's really difficult because people aren't around or I can't get the answers. And yes, you can email them and yes, you can wait for tomorrow morning to get a reply, but it's still something that I've chased. I've lost that time. Um, so for me, it's realizing that my day is my day is around the teams. My day is around making sure that things run smoothly. We have our meetings, we have our stand-ups, we engage with everybody. It's realizing that if people need me, I'm there. I have the phone with me from a work perspective to help people but uh, it's not there to control my life it's not there to kind of dictate the form of life i try and stay off social media as much as possible in terms of just during work because even that can be depressing um but yeah like in terms of schedules and ways of life i i've tried many things meditation is not up there with one of them first thing in the morning but um, for me, it's just realizing that, you know, with age comes experience and with that experience comes the realization that I get to go to work today and I am lucky to do that and I get paid to do that. And out of that, you know, there's the other was it, 95% of the world that don't get paid what we get paid uh, in the Western world. And I'm, you know, you're in the top 5% of the world, if not, I think it's the top like 1% of people in the world. And we still think that we have it rough. So, you know, you look at life through those lenses and realize, you know, 
we get to work in a really nice offices. We get to work with internet that people don't have. We have mobile phones, which people in the other parts of the world don't have. We complain about having you know, really nice cars. We get to complain about having really good public transport or really good health care or whatever it may be. But it's just how we look at life. So I've, I've tried to change how I've looked at life. I've tried to change how I engage with life. And so far, uh, at the tender age of 40, it's it's slowly starting to work that, you know, this is actually an enjoyable thing to do every day. I get to wake up. <laughs> I get to be alive. I think if you look at it through that lens, look, it sounds quite morbid, probably, but I get to be awake. I get to be alive. I get to do all of this. I get to have friends and family and I get to experience life through their eyes as well. And, you know... I get to get paid to do this and that takes care of things for outside of here. So am I, as people would probably have heard before, am I uh, living to work or am I working to live? And at the minute I am working to enjoy life outside of work. I enjoy what I do inside of work, but I'm also enjoying what I do outside of work. And having that perfect, well not perfect, but having that work-life balance is crucial. You need to have a life outside of employment. You need to be out with your friends. You need to be doing something. Whatever it is that makes you tick, you've just got to get out and do it, whatever it is. So for me, it's just about understanding that there's a balance in life. And that's that's my schedule. That's what I do every day. It's just realizing that I get to do this. I don't have to do it. I can quit anytime. Yeah. Well, look, Jonathan, I think it's a good time to finish up the podcast now. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on. And before we finish up, is there anything you'd like to say to the listeners? <laughs> oh, there's so much. But no, like I think for those that are maybe listening, it's about realizing that, you know, life life's really good. Uh, employment is great. Working hard is worth it. If you're studying, keep studying, but find that perfect role that really works for you. Enjoy doing it. You know, by the, the next time you really look at life, you'll be 65 supposed to be retirement age but really being brutally honest it'll probably be 75 before we're all allowed to retire but you need to do something with your life in between that is an enjoyable so whether it's project management whether it is nursing whether it's it whether it's building whether it's a taxi driver whatever it is that you are really talented at doing go and do it enjoy it that's what will make you tick and at that point in time you will have happiness you will have fulfillment and no matter what it is, that's the part of life that will make you tick. So, you know, work hard, study if you're studying. It's not all about success. It's not all about what the world paints in those social media pictures and how we're portrayed. Find what you want to do. Find out what you're all about. Find out what your identity is. And from that, you can look to your future and hopefully enjoy it. Jonathan, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, it'd be pretty cool if you shared it with your friends or anyone else who you think would benefit from it. You can find all the show notes by going to the website chasingpassion.e. That is chasingpassion.e. Thank you for listening today and I hope you enjoyed the episode.